0: How do we tell stories that engage, inspire, and have a lasting impact? How do we turn thoughts and ideas into effective and authentic storytelling? How can we use stories to make a difference in our work, lives, and communities? I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and together we'll explore what it means to tell stories with heart. Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling with Heart podcast. I'm Camille DePutter and with me today is Lillian O'Brien Davis. Lillian is a curator and writer currently based in Toronto, Ontario. She is the curator of exhibitions and public programs at Gallery 44 Center for Contemporary Photography. She's curated projects at Art Museum at the University of Toronto, Susan Hobbs Gallery, the Mackenzie Art Gallery, Support Gallery, and the School of Art Gallery at the University of Manitoba. Her writing has appeared in RACAR, <laughs> I'm not sure if you pronounce that RACAR or by the uh, acronym, Black Flash Magazine, Canadian Art Online, C Magazine, The Brooklyn Rail, Peripheral Review and Insight Magazine. And she's also published her own works. And she is a wonderful person and a friend of mine. Welcome, (laughs) Lillian. Thanks. I,
1: um, I'm not used to like an intro like that. It feels nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was maybe we can just get started if you can tell me a bit about like, what, what is a curator? What does a curator actually do? and, And what does that look like?
1: Yeah so it's a question I get a lot. Um, I think it's a field that is very well defined for the people within it and otherwise it's got this I think it has a bit of a mystique um, which I don't know if it's totally deserved so I'm here to do some mystique busting potentially Um, but so I work uh, primarily in the field of contemporary art so I'll speak to like my role in that field specifically and um, the, the origin of curating is sort of, it has a very long history in terms of sort of, um, to curate, to care, to steward a collection. I think most, um, people might be familiar with a curator at a museum who cares for artwork. Um, I think from the 1990s-ish until now, curating has sort of taken on, um, a bit more of a complex life. Um, And there's been a lot of kind of writing, thinking about it, as it's kind of grown in um, profile, curators are becoming known people. So before, I think uh, there were artists who had, had artists who were known by the public and who had a kind of celebrity. And I think now there are a growing number of curators who people recognize by name, like Hans Ulrich Obrist, or, um, you know, the curator for the Venice biennial, Cecilia Almani, or there these people that people might actually know their names um, instead of being these kind of like behind the scenes uh, workers. Um, and so my role and, and I think like the role of many contemporary art curators is um, basically to facilitate exhibitions. So I work with artists, there's a process of con- concept development for an exhibition. And so Curators have different approaches. My approach often is to, you know, I'm looking at a lot of work, I'm talking to artists, and that's kind of an ongoing nonstop conversation um, and ideas are flowing. And from those ideas, from those thoughts, um, exhibitions can grow. So I work with the artists, I'm in conversation. And what my goal is, is to present them in, an, in either a group exhibition or a solo exhibition that translates or like communicates a new idea. And it could be an idea that is my own that I am inviting them to be a part of with their work. Or it's an idea that we've grown together that we're both interested in and like the artist and I, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and then it, those ideas are worked out visually in space uh, in a gallery In the, is the most common setting.
0: Well, so it sounds like to me, um, what you're saying is a big part of it anyway, not the only part, but a big part of it is to establish a a vision for a kind of conversation or, or concept, or I might say a story that you are telling in conjunction with the people who make actually make the work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, my practice is very collaborative. I think that there are curators, especially curators who work in like art historical frameworks where, um, it's very much their vision and their ideas because they're working with people who might not be alive anymore or they're working, um, at more of an arm's length, uh, situation. But because I work in contemporary art, like the artists that I work with are making work right now. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, it behooves me to work directly with them and and to respond to what they have to say, um, which also for me is like the most interesting part of the job. Like I'd rather be talking uh, and doing a studio visit and like in conversation with someone I find really interesting, uh, like right now, um, instead of, you know, sitting at my computer responding to a gazillion emails.
0: <laughs> and on that front too, how do you then... Um, make time or how do you how do you think about the thinking part of your work?
1: I think it's tough. I definitely um, go through periods of um, kind of like ebb and flow with my research and my thinking, like when my brain feels kind of like mush versus when I'm kind of like all cylinders firing, like having a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm getting used to being okay with that. Like sometimes I got, I got nothing. And then other times I'm like, you know, scribbling things down on like a scrap of paper and just like needing to remember this idea. And like, and I kind of have my notes app or my, my journal that I kind of keep things in. And for me, um, I think the, the thinking happens a lot when I'm reading. Um, When I I do occasionally I'll talk to like university classes um and my suggestion to them is always like read more and like from reading your ideas will come because often my like I I almost like struggle with focusing when I'm reading because I'm like I'm having ideas in the moment I'm like I gotta write that down like I'm responding and like it's a very kind of active activity for me um, so it comes a lot from reading
0: and I think, Me too. by the way, and I, I, in, um, one of the, the earlier podcast episodes, I was talking to John Brody and he said a similar, a similar thing that, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily matter what it is too. Right. I mean, we were talking about that in regards to fiction. And so it's not even necessarily a like, Oh, I need to read about this topic I'm interested in just the act of engaging with story with different voices, with different ways of writing stuff can like, really ping a lot of ideas and help you think and sometimes I I had mentioned to him too I have certain books where I'm like I cannot read this until unless I'm prepared to also take an hour and write afterwards because I know it's gonna get my my brain going yeah totally it's
1: it's um it can it can be a very generative like time but it can also be kind of like I'm not getting through anything because every two seconds I'm stopping or like yeah it's so it it, be, it turns it into a responsibility, but I feel like that's a really um, big channel for me. And I think um, something that initially felt indulgent, but I'm getting used to kind of making time for is also like going to see shows. I think when you work uh, in a field that like when you're making exhibitions, I imagine it's maybe the same if you're like in the movies or something like mm-hmm. that going to see a movie or like going to see an exhibition sort of has a different, it becomes a different experience and it feels like work, but it also feels like you're constantly thinking of like what you would do in that situation. So I have to kind of like shift that aside and like go see shows and just kind of like encounter them.
0: So do you mean when, have... you see, when you go see shows, will you sort of deliberately turn off the um that inner voice that's maybe Uh, partly critique, maybe partly competitor, maybe partly like, oh, what can I learn from this? And do you just go and just try to be there and enjoy it?
1: Yeah, that's the goal. I don't always succeed, but that's definitely the goal of like, I just want to go see work. And like um, my partner and I went to uh, the Venice Biennial this year, which is um, a big exhibition in in Venice that happens every two years uh, for those who might not know and um that for me was a real treat because to leave the canadian context and go see art in another country allowed me to kind of switch off where i was like i don't recognize the names these are people and artists who are new to me and therefore i can kind of like engage much 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 e- much more easily uh-huh. um and so i find that to be a really good vehicle for thinking where you're like encountering new ideas Via artwork in front of you and that can be really um inspiring and and really energizing
0: um and i I just want to emphasize that too for a second because i think um i mean i will often encourage people to read and encounter storytelling like different kinds of stories in part to be able to learn from them i mean that's that's kind of what I I do. And I'm always thinking, you know, also, could this be a story idea? And honestly, I could be watching um, like, you know, crappy reality television. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is really interesting to see what, uh, how people are communicating with each other and where their their barriers are, or what seems to be working, or what can I learn from this? And what can I, what story might I be able to tell about this? But I think there's a really important point you're making too, to just enjoy and encounter them and because it can be inspiring and uh, kind of nurturing, but also even from um, an audience perspective because if we are the ones writing, making things, creating, leading, curating, you know, if we are the ones uh, who are it, who's in that seat of creation or kind of driving the engine, you can maybe forget about what it's like to be, A viewer like at the end of the day you're creating something for the public to come and see and people to encounter and so it makes sense that you would want to put yourself in that position of like let me remember what it feels like to just be a member of the public receiving this and I think that's useful for anything we do like if you're going to write okay great be a writer but also be a reader totally yeah And I think um, in my field, there's a lot
1: of conversation about audience, how to make complex ideas uh, palatable and accessible without pandering, but also without um, denying accessibility. And And I think that the more time you spend as an audience member helps you to to figure out how to do that job um you know in in the art world there's sort of like a style of writing um that's called international art english and it's um considered to be kind of like unnecessarily dense art writing and i think um listeners might know it, like going to a a show in new york or something and you see like an indecipherable sentence that makes the show more opaque rather than clearer.
0: Like you go into, you know, okay, we're going to go to this gallery and see the show. This sounds interesting. And you don't really know maybe what it's about, but like, okay, let's check this out. And you read this artist statement on the wall and you're like, this, it feels like a whole bunch of gobbledygook. I have no idea what this person is trying to say. And either you know you might feel like I'm not smart enough to be here, or you might feel like, well, this person is super pretentious. <laughs> but is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. That's
1: international art English. That okay. gobbledegook. <laughs> and so I think that there's been um, a very intentional push in the last couple of years to figure out um, a a better way to communicate and um it's using plain language it's using um it's taking time to like uh qualify things that might not be legible to other people and there's like in terms of you know being like oh I was in Venice last week and then being like I was there for the biennial <laughs> is maybe a way of like kind of explaining what I mean or to say like
0: and the biennial is an exhibition right, right. <laughs> like I'm not going to assume um, that you know what I, all of these things are mm-hmm. exactly and I
1: think there's a school of thought that's sort of like you know mechanics have language you know dentists have language like there is language for every field but I think when your field is so public facing where like you're putting on exhibitions for the public or you know in my in my role I am that I have a responsibility to, to think about, um, kind of like communication and access. And, you know, for me, that's, you know, I can, I can do that by being a viewer and I can also do that, um, you know, by being in conversation with colleagues and, and, um, you know, friends and just like thinking, taking time to think about things rather than sort of like pushing ahead with my own ideas sort of at, um, at the cost of receiving feedback. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah,
0: if I I can just emphasize those two, I feel like you're, you're just dropping, (laughs) dropping so many good points. And I, I really want to kind of drive them home um, because I think that tension between um, honoring the language that you, that you maybe speak and that you're, and maybe your audience speaks it too. Um, but so, you know, here I'm, I'm thinking of kind of industry terms, typical industry styles, maybe buzzwords, or this kind of inner circle language. The There's something called the curse of knowledge. And like, once you know something, it's really hard to remember what it's like to not know it. And so, you know, for me having worked in different industries or with clients in different industries, I can encounter this even in myself, I will walk in and be like, you guys are speaking your own language, and you don't realize it. And then like that, I'm in it too. And it's like, Oh, now I know what all these words mean, and feels natural. And if, if you are speaking, like in your case, if you are speaking to an academic, you know, purely, you know, artists who are group who are in on it, then great that works. But if that's not your audience, then you know you, there's there's adjustments to make because otherwise people aren't going to understand and that doesn't mean you have to dumb it down or you know release all of the meat of what you're trying to say, but it does mean you maybe have to work harder as a communicator to unpack those mental shortcuts that you've been using. And so this is something I I've have worked at kind of for years with people in different industries to be like great but what do you actually mean by that what are you trying to say and how can we really get to the heart of what that is without using sort of all of these like shortcuts that are really kind of buzzwords there was a book I read uh, like maybe 20 years ago called um it was, I think it was called like bullshit or b s and it and it was like why business people speak like idiots and and it was about this. It was about like why are so many people getting up and trying to sound smart and using these you know terms and words and things that people don't understand instead of just speaking in plain language so um i I just want to acknowledge that that's I think in many ways kind of a universal tension um And so understanding it sounds like your process for that in in part is by like um, taking the time to think it through, to get, you know, to collaborate, to get feedback, input from others and try to even like literally by going to shows, remind yourself of what it might look like on the other end.
1: Yeah. And I think the goal is to better support artists too. Like art is exciting. Contemporary art is interesting, you know it's worth spending the time to go and engage with it. And so it's my job to help you in that process and to to provide opportunities of engagement. So I want you to encounter the artists that I'm working with and I want you to be interested. Like, you know, it's not you're not getting a tooth pulled, you know, <laughs> to go back to my, um, you know, it's like, this, this is exciting stuff that's happening. And, you know, it. I'm trying my best to to help to communicate that and, and to, to get people, you know, to, to be, to energize people when they're in these settings. So.
0: Yeah. Amazing. So another question I wanted to ask you about to kind of go in a slightly diff- different direction is, um, the, the word curate in itself can be a bit of a, a buzzword right now in that, um, you know, I was on my Sephora app <laughs> for this call and it's like items curated just for you. Or, you know, I, there's, um, like a, a little bodega type place in Toronto and, you know, it's like they call themselves curators, like, I guess, meaning they choose a selection of products for which you can buy. <laughs> what, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, from, it, it might be a bit of a buzzword, but I also have seen some articles and ideas about this concept of content curation and how, you know, part of communicating ideas, you don't just have to be, say, the sole writer or generator. You can also bring together different ideas and, you know, present writing as a form of a a digest or a almost magazine style of blog or newsletter or something where you're bringing different voices to the table um so what what's your take on this whole idea of curation as something that can um c- can be used in different spaces and and how we use that word
1: yeah i have a lot of thoughts on this <laughs> um it's a it's interesting um, I've actually, um, and this might not happen for much longer because um, Elon Musk now owns Twitter, but I've been doing this like Twitter-based project where I'll just take pictures of every like instance of like curating the nice, I, like, you know, curated events or like your curated edit, like whatever the marketing kind of like use of the languages and kind of like it becomes this really interesting theme to see them all lined up together. Um, and I think... To start, I'll say, you know, curating isn't just choosing. And I think in a lot of instances where it's used in a non art context, what it's referring to is just like fancy choosing, like a curated selection of meats. It's like, so you know, that to me, it's it's talking about like class and it's trying to kind of elevate a conversation or like curated eyeliners. Um, and I think where like content curation gets maybe a little bit more interesting is like it's not just talking about like status I think it's talking about like like multiple voices in a conversation facilitating relationships that sort of like have an end goal in mind or like mutual like interests um and that's where I think like it gets it right where like an art curator, a contemporary art curator, a museum curator, like they, they work in ideas, they work um, with concepts and they're kind of like, then the outcome is visual. So that's like, you know, by putting a bunch of paintings together, it's not like just about having this spidey sense, like choosing ability. It's sort of like thinking critically and, and working with concepts and bringing something together to, to tell a story or to, you know, you know, tell multiple stories or whatever, um, like, um, or, you know, let the art speak for, for, for itself. Mm -hmm. And I think thinking about it from a business perspective, like you can do it with people, you know, bringing the right people together, Mm -hmm. um, into a room to have an important conversation or, um, you know, if you're really interested in the style of writing, like finding other writers who are working in that style and seeing what comes of being together or like talking together or writing together, like that, that kind of content curation, I think, feels more aligned with how I've like, studied and learned like about this word. Mm -hmm. And it isn't necessarily about status or like class, which is what gives me a sick feeling, but it's like, curated flights to Abu Dhabi, like clearly what they're doing is like trafficking in like class status, you know, like where it's like, you're not just in, you're in, not in an economy, you're in like curated economy. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, there, and that's when I feel uncomfortable because then it sort of aligns the work with, um, it aligns the work with financial value And I, there are, there are curators who work, um, you know, with big budgets and they, you know, you know, in, in commercial settings, but I think at the end of the day, they're the ends that are, they're working on are kind of like better expressed in like thinking about ideas.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to you then, if we were to say, like, if, if I was to say, I want to, to better curate, um, work. And if I'm, if I am putting together a conference or a panel or a series or, you know, a series of stories or, you know, a series of, of podcasts or newsletter, or, you know, a a collaborative blog or that kind of thing, what would you encourage me then from your standpoint your expertise and take on this, what would you encourage me to do? How would you encourage me to approach it?
1: where I always start with the, with the art. Like I always start, start with the art. And it's like, I'm getting, I'm having ideas from looking at this thing. And so I can imagine that for any other, for someone, you know, like for your example, like yourself, like you're starting with the writing or with, with the, with the person you're working with and, and building from there, like, are there like-minded individuals who, who are working along similar trajectories or is there someone working in a complementary trajectory or in a complementary field? Um, what can they bring to the table to uh, make this conversation a bit more complex? Because an interesting show, a good, a well curated show isn't just here are three artists doing the exact same thing. It's here are three artists who are approaching the same idea but complicating it or by um, looking at it from different perspectives. And I want you to see them all together to get a a sense of that thesis. Um, So I can imagine in another setting, it's like, here are three, uh, you know, here are three writers who are exploring a, a concept, but they're coming at it from three different directions. And all of those directions build toward something that is so much, you know, so much richer to have them together than to, for them to be separated um and so i can see like you know starting with one piece of writing might be like it might seem obvious (laughs) but i think that's like but just allowing yourself to then kind of like you know look look abroad from you know what is it in this writing that interests me okay the topic is i don't know resilience and then you know who else is talking about resilience um, okay, this person and they're talking about it from this perspective. Okay, that's great. What do these things tell me? Like, what am I learning from these two? Oh, this third person is talking about failure and like failure is resilient. Just like, you know, like right. I'm. Um, yeah, I get like, it. I think.
0: <laughs> Good. I love <laughs> Good. this. No, I love this. And I think that's a really great, it's a great example. And I I really want to underline that point that, you know, it's to curate, or at least curate successfully, you're not just bringing together a bunch of the same ideas. Um, And I think that's so, that's so important for putting together any kind of work, or even arguably just doing this for yourself, even if you're, you're trying to learn more on a subject or, you know, like to be able to look at different points of view and I mean, it's something I hope to do in in this podcast as well is to be able to bring in different points of view because something I see happening is if you have a a podcast on a certain topic, you're bringing in everybody who's already aligned and from the same, like say you're in health and fitness and it's like, great, let me just bring in all my health and fitness buds. And we all basically do the same kind of thing for a living and we all have a, kind of agree on the same ideas and just personally I would rather uh talk to and listen to people with a variety of different perspectives and like let's see the commonalities but also maybe where we where we differ and what you know um what what different points of view or approaches we may find on a thing totally to that end also something I was interested in asking you about and I don't know if this is accurate or not but I because of I feel like I already now have a better understanding of what you do but obviously you cur- curate four galleries or spaces and I am I imagine there may be sometimes a bit of a tension between like bringing wanting to bring in new voices to the table and maybe people who have not been given you know that attention or star status yet or whatever it may be and kind of broaden who are we um you know passing the the mic to to use sort of an inappropriate metaphor for, for for the the gallery space but like by the same token there might also be hey how do we bring in people who are going to get uh I don't know butts and seats or get attention or or what have you um is that a thing and and if so what's your approach to that? yeah it's definitely a thing I think. Um,
1: depending on the scale of the gallery, like my my gallery Gallery Forty Four is an artist-run center, so we operate on a certain scale of budget, and it does not it's not anywhere near somewhere like the AGO or something. So often those big blockbuster like and seats artists will end up at a place like the AGO where there are resources and and um, infrastructure to support. That, that, that scale. So we often are working with emerging um, or mid-career is another term, like artists who are sort of emerging is sort of five years and under, mid-career five to 10 years, um, and then kind of senior or like established artists sort of 10 years and beyond. Um, and so we often work with emerging and mid-career artists. And I think it's something we struggle with, like in terms of thinking about, okay, we want to engage the public, you know we want to support this artists and um, like I'm, a lot of our mandate is around artist support so it's about like paying an artist you know giving them a platform you know creating a vehicle um for to allow them to share their work and making sure that they feel good about how that's happening um and so the task falls upon me and my colleagues then to find a way to make that compelling to our audience to get those, to get those butts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, I say it's a struggle in the sense of like, I think um, there are, Certain artists that have a name recognition, so it's kind of like I'm thinking about a couple of years ago in Toronto when Yayoi Kusama had that show and it was like lines out the door. And you know, for art nerds, like that never happens. You know, <laughs> like the scale is just it like, never gets there. um But you know, we count it successful. You know, if if you know we get like 1,200 you know people through the door, um, and we're a small gallery, so that I I you know the scale varies but I think um for me like the way that we've found or that I've found um that we engage people the most is when the work is good and that doesn't mean like from like the artist work is it's always going to be good because the you know we're working with people who are good at what they do but I think when the show is good like when we've put our enough work in when there's You know, a great essay that engages people. There's, you know, we've done the documentation in order to promote it so that people can see it. You know, we've, we've done programming that brings people in and that engages people in terms of talking about or offering, um, activities that people want to attend. Mm -hmm. Like that's when, that's when we find the most success. And I think, um, you know, there are, also, seasons like you know where people are kind of eager to be upside more and they'll come to the gallery because they're out on a Saturday versus like you know other seasons when they want to be home watching movies and um, <laughs> tucked up so you know we allow for that of course but it's like you know the, the the metric that where we know we've done a good job is when you know we have you know a, like you know clusters of people rolling in it's like okay what can we learn from what we did this time? People
0: are coming. Right.
1: <laughs> you know, it's as simple as yeah. that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I love what you're saying that at the end of the day, the the, the best way to guarantee this is just to do good work. I feel this, this is the same for writing and, you know, other forms of storytelling and, and expression. You know, yes, there's a marketing aspect to it of making sure that your work is in, in front of people and, And showing up in the places that, you know, where your audience is so that they know about it and all that's, that's important. But at the end of the day, if the work itself is not good or not engaging, or it's just, you know, it's then like, that's, that needs to be the primary focus, or at least a, at the very least in, in a kind of balanced focus, I see people getting very, very focused on, well, how do I get people to this? How do I get people to see my thing? And it's like, Mm -hmm. there's this interest shifts away from the work itself and more into a sense of, I don't know, popularity or vanity metrics. How many followers do I have or how many likes do I have on this thing rather than how do I, how do I do better and better work? Yeah. And I
1: think, you know, people are smart, (laughs) like they, they can sniff it out, like, um when you do when you do a good essay or when you have a good conversation with someone you know people enjoy it and they respond to it I think if you're burnt out and overworked and you're just not you know you're you're not fully there and engaged like yeah. you're not going to get the, like any kind of engagement back and I and it's not like um I don't think it's like a guaranteed hack like right. you know right. there are there are instances where you're like man I put my soul into this and like you know people aren't you know perking up and listening but I think overall like that's you know you do get yeah when the work is good you will get people and if it's not like the first day you know like I'm and I have to remind myself of that like people will notice and people are noticing even if they're not Mm -hmm. saying it to your face
0: Right. This Which I would like. <laughs> something we all, we all have to deal with. Uh, yeah. Myself included um, for sure that, you know, and I talk about this with email newsletters, for example, and um, it can feel like, oh, well, you know, people aren't really listening or paying attention or, you know, especially if you're, you're in a space where you're not, you're not the number one go to. I mean for myself I do a lot of behind the scenes work as well and I write for a lot of other people and so people don't always know that I'm there or that I that I'm involved. Um, and I think you know for anybody who is trying to make a thing, especially if you are newer to it, there is this message kind of out there generally that your metrics on it have to be massive that, you know, you've got to have so many people walking through the door, so to speak, or, you know, opening the email or signing up or doing this or doing that or patting you on the back for it. And the reality is that it takes a long time to build and isn't even necessarily a good, um, reflection of engagement or, um, you know, how much people are paying attention or care about it. I attended a workshop recently, um, where I know the host, and I got so much out of the workshop and and it was virtual, and we were all it was pretty quiet. There wasn't a ton of chatting. you know, she's asking us to speak up, and we weren't really. And I can't speak for everyone else there. But the reason why I wasn't speaking up was that I was really thinking about it, and it was really causing me to think and I was journaling as I went. and i I just i I felt there was more for me to process. I wasn't really ready to just share it in chat. And the the sharing and chatting for me sometimes can be more like, oh, this is surface level. I feel the need to perform. But if I'm quieter, it actually means I'm taking it in, in a deeper way. But from her perspective, it was like, hmm, people didn't like it. You know?
1: Yeah. I think it's tough. And you know as a woman as a racialized woman like i i think i'm really used to people not taking me seriously um you know i'm relatively young even though i, I wouldn't say that i'm kind of like i'm sort of at the very end of my emerging <laughs> period um but you know i I'm, I'm i'm sort of used to both kind of being like okay sweetheart and um and it's hard because I work really hard, and and um, you know the curator. My feeling about my role is that I I don't want to be the star. Like I'm making a show; the show is the focus. But that doesn't mean that I want the work that I've put into it erased or discounted. And I, it's tough when you know that doesn't come with you know a medal or like a you know an effusive Instagram post or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, it's tough. And I think also, you know, I'm someone who did pretty good in school and, you know, got validation from marks and, and kind of advancement. So you have to find a way to like find, find a way to be kind of like, okay with knowing that you did a good job, which isn't something I've figured out how, to do yet <laughs> so, um, yeah. maybe we can uh touch base again once i have but i think <laughs> i just i totally recognize how hard it is and it and i will admit like that's a, a huge struggle for me to just kind of like like feel like i'm
0: screaming and no one's listening like um mm. yeah it's not easy I can relate to it as somebody who, you know, also works sort of behind the scenes. And my goal and and my purpose and why I do what I do is because um, I want other people to feel seen and that to feel that they are living the full expression of themselves with what they have to give to the world. That I feel so many people they have. Real goodness inside their heads and their hearts. They have things that they can explain and, and express into the world, and that that can go on and in turn help other people feel seen or understood or learn things in new ways. Um, so I believe there's real value in that, and it's also been a a rewarding business to be in. And and I I prefer to kind of dedicate my life to helping other people tell their stories rather than. Just my own, I tell my own as well in various forms and write regularly, but you know my my business is really based around helping other people, and that means that I am often really a co writer or even the primary writer of stuff that where my name is a a gratitude and acknowledgement or something, even when I've poured more than people will <laughs> ever know truly into that book or that product, um, or countless, um, pieces of content that, um, and again, I mean, I'm here for it. I want the, I want the people who, who have the the byline on that thing to get their recognition and all ult- and to feel that it is theirs. That's what I'm here to do, but it is hard, like you said, um, to feel that that can, can kind of slip, uh, by the wayside. And I, I also part of, of something I would like to change in our culture as well is this belief that, um, you, the collaboration somehow takes away from, um, from your ownership or kind of celebration of the thing. In other words, if you are a are a leader, and you, uh, you know, co co wrote something with someone. You don't have to pretend that you did it by yourself, because it doesn't take anything away from you to acknowledge that, in fact, it was a collaborative effort. I feel mm-hmm. this also hurts people because they don't realize that. Co- there are options for collaboration and co-creation so they think either they can do it or they can't do it and yeah. so if folks who do get that support are a bit more vocal about it and saying like yep but this person played a really important role or like let me help you understand how I worked with another person or people on this thing um, then I think more people might go oh yeah it like." that's okay. Um, You know, it's okay for me to acknowledge that I didn't do this alone. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, in my
1: field, there are, you know, there's the academic side where there's very formal like citation practices, but there are also sort of like, writers and artists who take on this idea of citation, and they work in a really interesting ways. I think like, Maggie Nelson would be an author who engages with the practice of citation in a really like creative way that might be of interest um, to readers or to listeners and, and to your point. And I think it, it it's from this idea of influence and influence being something that can be horizontal as well as vertical. So like your like mom or your partner or your best friend can, can be someone that you can cite, you know, in, in a in a way, or like to, you can credit. Or you can have a collaborator of of thought and that there are ways to acknowledge this influence um, in your work without it being either like formalized in an academic context or sort of like diminishing your work. And it's just that like all of these people informed how I made my work and what came from it. Even if it was just like, over a glass of wine or you know you know in a kind of unrelated meeting but it it sparks something or like you know there's other kind of formal practices like you read something cited (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know but um I think I think it it's an interesting concept to kind of apply to your life and to to, yeah to build a a relationship to
0: yeah, and I think it's it's an important one and maybe a nuance that's also missed around this sort of idea of of like diversity and inclusion because the, the challenge is that often people who are already well-known and established and may have more privilege, maybe they're men, maybe they're white, maybe they're heterosexual, et cetera, et cetera, have already kind of have this bigger platform and then the influence and support around them might be people who are not and and are not then really like our roles in that in the thinking in the development in the conversation etc and like influence as you put it is not really acknowledged. And I think if if that's something that's important to you, just doing more of those sort of hat tips or, or whatever to kind of acknowledge where did this come from can actually help those who might be influential to you. Do, do Does that make sense? Do you agree?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, it's something that I think in in my field, like we're constantly talking about, Um and I don't know that we always get it right, but it's something that like, yeah, it's definitely um, on the table and, and something that has to be constantly figured out, especially because in, in my field, and I don't think this is unique, but, you know, we socialize with our colleagues, you know, my partner is an artist, and, you know, like yeah. it's, it. Oh, there's so much overlap that, you know, where things are, where you get ideas isn't, necessarily confined to your workplace right or or to your work setting
0: yeah yeah um sort of tangential to that I also did want to ask you about you know some of your experiences of speaking up more um you know pointedly um on you know topics of racism and problematic practices that you've seen in your field and um you know you've written written about including in um canadian canadian art which is a pretty big and well-established canadian art um magazine and so you've been you know willing to to write about and address these topics in a pretty public way and as you said you know you're maybe towards the end of your emerging your emerging years but you have been in you know um like sort of emerging and building your career and and I think for a lot of folks that could be an intimidating thing or something they maybe feel hesitant to do. But I do feel for a lot of people there is a desire to to speak up and say what you know, what really needs to be said and what they believe in, and they're not always sure about how to do it and how to not have that bite themselves in the ass. <laughs> What's your personal take on that? What's your experience been like? Yeah,
1: it's it's not easy. Um, I think the article that I wrote, which is available online, so you know everything I said there, it's it's out there. Um, but it it it's re- it's a reflection on a talk that I attended two years previously. So the article was published in 2020, but the events that I'm talking about were in 2018. And for me, it really took that much time. Um, I think, like in the moment. at the time of the talk you know there I had a lot of thoughts and I and I I had something to say but it took me two years to say it and and it was helped by the kind of climate at the time in 2020 people there was a lot of conversation about um you know anti-black violence racial justice police brutality and so it was there was energy and there was interest in what I had to say. So it was also a really, um, I think that helped a lot. Um, and I was, you know, talking about influence and credit and mentorship. I was working with a, men- a writing mentor, um, Jazz M. Morgan, and um, they're a researcher at the Yellowhead Institute um, and an indigenous writer and, and scholar. And I shared it with them in draft being like I have this thing I don't know where it should go and they were like dude like <laughs> let me run with this like can I share this with Canadian Art and I was like yeah okay like I hadn't published much and then the editor at the time at Canadian Art Jane Wilkinson um worked with Jazz and I to like like edit the text and get it kind of ready and you know Jane and Jazz were really careful with me. Like they helped me a lot in terms of being like, you know, they acquired the audio recording of the talk to fact check everything. Um, They suggested that I share it with a few trusted colleagues to see, you know, what their feedback was, because they understood the reality of publishing something like this, which was critical about um, someone who worked in my field and who had a lot of seniority over me, and they wanted to make sure that the, we all crossed our T's and dotted our I's. So there was a lot of behind the scenes that led to the publication of the piece, and at the time I was all kind of like buzzing, and I like hadn't published much, so I was really like excited, and I was kind of like, yeah, let's do it, let's push it out, and <laughs> it was a lot more to them to, to be like, whoa, whoa, okay, let's think about this, and they, they never weren't going to do it, but I think they just wanted to make sure like all the care was taken, in terms of making sure I didn't wind up as, uh, like, isolated and vulnerable and sharing an opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, as what, like, usually what happens when I publish something is, like, you put it out there and you're, like, sweating bullets, like, like waiting for people to react. And, you know, you know you might get a murmur or something and people yep. are like, oh, good night, good job, whatever. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. what? You know, but this one, I think it caught a wave because people were really, it was talking about things that people were already talking about. So I did get a lot more um, positive feedback, which was really nice. And I, for the longest time, that's all there was. And, you know, eventually I got, there was some pushback and stuff. And um, it was, it was, you know, a big learning moment for me. And Um, When I say it's not easy, this kind of work is not easy is because, you know, I have, I have a life to live, you know, I want, I want things in life, I'm ambitious. And it's scary to know that people, you know, might, who might not agree with you have the power to restrict your access to things that you want. Mm -hmm. And so it can be intimidating to speak up because you know, you need to buy groceries, you need to pay rent, like, and there's no guarantees that the good guys win. But at the same time, like, I think what it did do was it showed people that I had integrity, and that I had something to say. And so um, I think it, it helped me in that I was, you know, people kind of got a sense of who I am. And that is like, who I try to be. And so um, it, it's something that, you know, I don't say that you should do without like serious consideration. Um, but I think that it's important that if, if, if you have something to say and if it sort of aligns with your values and it feels important, then I think that it should be said and that you can take your time and you can work with as many people as you want to like support you in that process of speaking up. Um, but I think that, you know, something that one of my uh, mentors said to me, who I shared the article with before it was published was like, you know, for this person that you're writing criticism about, like, for them, it's important feedback, you know, they're they're this is their career. And, you know, they, if they are smart, they can listen and hear this as something constructive rather than as something that's, you know, inherently negative. I don't know if that happened. <laughs> you know, I yeah. don't. I won't know the end of that story, but I think that helped helped me with my perspective to like encourage me to, to go ahead with it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I love um, hearing some of those other details that I didn't know about that experience, um, including just knowing that you were supported, which I think is such a great point of view or, or point for anybody who is bringing together, you know, different, different stories and stories about tough conversations, because you have to remember there's a, there's a person on the other end of that and being able to, mm-hmm. su- to support them in that. And so I'm glad that you had um, that kind of team and, and feedback and supporters who were able to help you through the process. And it's such a good point too, that it's, it took time. I think this is another thing that I want to encourage people to to do and to, is, is to, be willing to wrestle with and process and evolve your thinking on the thing. Um, so, because we we very much live in this very reactive, short content, just everything on social media immediately. And it doesn't have to be like that. You can tell stories or speak to things that have happened a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, you know, in your childhood, whatever. Um, whatever it may be, it, you too are a person and need to be able to process it, to be okay talking about it, to be able to sort of find the right words for it, the right time and place, all of that. And so I think if there are big meaty subjects that are maybe also emotional or personal that you want to tackle, if you, I mean, if you're ready to just go with it, great, but sometimes they can also be improved over over time and to make sure that you are ready to do it. But when you I, I also love the point that you made that um, it showed people who you were, and this is something else I, I really want people to understand. I mean, for me, I built my whole business. like I could con- I could probably attribute all of my business, in a sense, to a single speech, the speech I gave about my heart um, at or about you know 10 10 years ago or so. And the reason why I say that is because, when I then went into business for myself shortly thereafter, it wasn't a business speech, it was a personal speech. But the people that I started to talk to who were interested in hiring me saw that, saw that I, like you said, I, you know, has have integrity, some vulnerability. I know how to communicate, you know, I know how to put a story together and give a speech. I didn't need a resume. I, I, and that wasn't even about writing or anything else. It was just, it showed a lot about me. And I think that, yes, the subject. Matter matters, but the kind of act in, of 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 communicating in and of itself and how you approach that is in effect a story about you that you are telling. And so you're not to say there can't be negative consequences, you know it, that's sort of out, outside of your control. but it sounds like in a way it was like it was a, a positive experience for you. It was would you say that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's, it's, in some ways, it's still playing out, like, you know, people, it will, it's something that follows me, you know, as all my pub- published writing does all my public facing work does. So I think there are people who agree with what I did. And there are people who don't and it doesn't mean, you know, it, I you know, it doesn't, there are people who agree with what I did and there are people who don't. And so um, for me, I think it was a positive experience because it helped me kind of like show, show who I am and what I can do. And, and I think a lot of the people who I've been working with are people who, like you say, are kind of intuitively impressed by that and, and want to connect with someone who, who such as myself and, you know, um, and, and yeah, I think that I feel good that the, The writing that I've been able to publish since then you know has um is within the vein of kind of like things that I want to talk about or things that I kind of stories that I want to share and so um you know it doesn't make it easy like you know, I I recently described myself like a spinning top that's not getting anywhere. And, you know, there does feel like, you know, there are times where I'm like, Oh, man, like, you know, I wish I could have the like Harvard business guy, or, you know, I won't say that, but I wish I could have the slick business guy, like, you know, trajectory of like, you know, my dad (laughs) had corner office job or something, uh, which, you know, that won't happen. But, Um, but it does, it's, it's satisfying work. It's satisfying work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes with these things, there's, I mean, that's often what I come back to as well, because there can be tensions around, um, you know, am I reaching the people that I would want to reach or am am I getting the attention that I would want to get and, you know, or having the impact that I want to have? I think these are kind of natural parts of, of doing business, especially, or, or or living or working, especially if you're not doing things just according to the norm and somebody else's plan. But at the end of the day, if you feel that you've done the right thing and lived your values and and that you are proud of what you're, you're making, then that's a lot more than, than other people can say.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It takes work to be vulnerable, but I think it's, it's worth it in the end. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, this is has been such uh, a great conversation. Before we go, um I'd like to do a little bit of a lightning round where I just throw a few questions at you and you can answer whatever comes up. Game. Game. Okay. Sounds <laughs> good. What was your favorite book as a kid?
1: It was Anne of Green Gables.
0: Oh my god, me too. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> We're so Canadian. <laughs> Representing CanCon. What are you you reading right now? Um,
1: Right now, I am reading um, my, well, I haven't started it yet, so I, maybe I can't claim credit, but <laughs> Um, my friend for my birthday just gave me a Don DeLillo book called Zero K. And so I'm carrying it around with me um, and I will crack a spine
0: on the airplane home um, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect place to read. That's uh, I I always like to read on planes. Um, what is something you are curious about?
1: Um, I think I'm really curious about sustainability um in terms of like how other people sort of manage their lives and careers um I'm sort of really absorbed in my work right now so I, I I'm really interested in in how other people are like manage their absorption um I don't know if that's a very interesting question but it's the first thing that came to mind well, <laughs> like, I'm
0: perpetually interested in this in that topic I'm like oh yeah Let's discuss that yeah. more. <laughs> Let's talk again. Yeah. <laughs> um, who is someone that has had a positive influence on your life? Okay. The
1: first person is um, my co-curator and former boss, John Hampton, um, who sort of, you know, gave me my first job and has trusted me a lot uh, creatively. Um uh, i do I admire them a lot for their the work that they do and for their leadership style. Um, and so they have really um, they have really guided been a guiding light in my career, and i I admire them greatly for that. And just so I don't sound completely soulless <laughs> that I only <laughs> think about work, um my partner, uh, Simon, is like uh, a really really bright light in my life and has had like a hugely positive impact on me um over the years so uh, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> he 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 deserves he deserves uh all the flowers <laughs>
0: <laughs> those are both wonderful shout outs and like you know let's hear it also for for mentors I don't think that's part of it. I think you know the the speech I gave that I mentioned before was um was at Mo Mondays an event that um, one of my early mentors was throwing and, uh, Michelle Norey and, and Michelle had a huge impact on my life and having people who see you and support you and are there to lift you up is just, uh, infallible. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I, I really feel like I learned some things and I'm able to take away some new ideas about how I can approach my work and, and uh, it's kind of given some added context and and color to thinking about, you know, how I can bring ideas together and how to tell different stories and how to just work through this whole, you know, process of, of life work and and trying to speak up and share ideas and, and get through it. And that it's a reminder too, I think that, you know, we can all work in our own little silos and different fields and industries, but they're, we're often going through the same kinds of things and, and wrestling with the same kinds of questions. So I really appreciate your your point of view and also sharing so so openly with me.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I love having conversations like this and um, I feel like I've learned so much from you and it's so nice to be able to kind of like create connection between, between fields.
0: Yeah, agreed. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Storytelling with Heart podcast. Want to turn your thoughts into leadership and your ideas into words that make a difference? Find me and discover more free resources at www.camiledeputter.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email newsletter where I share stories, free tools, and other storytelling guidance. And never forget, your story matters.